0: Hello and welcome to Top 10, brought to you by KTXT Radio and the College of Media and Communication at Texas Tech University in beautiful Lubbock. Top 10 seeks out successful and influential people in politics and government, the many professions, the physical and social sciences, or the arts and humanities, and asks them to reveal their lives, ideas, and ideals through their playlist. Our format is simple. We ask our guests what pieces of music mean the most to them, and to tell us the story behind the infatuation. Mr. Derek Ginter is our producer engineer. I'm David Promoter, professor at and dean of the college, and the originator and host of TOPS 10. Today I have with me Dr. Annette Sobel. Dr. Sobel is the executive for critical infrastructure protection and health security at Texas Tech. And in this role, you assist faculty at Texas Tech and the Health Sciences Center to build new health and security-relevant interdisciplinary programs and collaborations. That sounds very black-op- suspicious. We'll talk about that, Dr. Doctor Sowell. In her role at TTU, she reports to President Nellis. Now, for the Health Science Center, Dr. Sobel serves as an associate professor in the Department of Medical Education while assisting with the joint TTU TTUTTHSC initiatives. Dr. Sobel is a veteran with 20 years of military experience and served as a Major General in the Air National Guard and Homeland Security Director for New Mexico. As a Physician Engineer, she has worked at national labs and government agencies such as DARPA, DTRA, and OSD as a Senior Advisor. Now, did you spend any time in New Mexico at Roswell or Area 51? That's what we all want to know first.
1: I'd have to kill you if I told you about it.
0: We should have a long silence here, you know, and then just go off the air. Derek, can we arrange that, please? Now, now, Dr. Sobel, uh, let's see, you have how many degrees? Well, I have a
1: bachelor's, a master's, and a doctorate degree.
0: That's right. But you've, yeah. you've served, this is a pretty oppressive array of different titles, and, I mean, Dr. Major General... <laughs> professor, dean, <laughs> provost? No,
1: not a dean, not a provost. I'm just your humble servant. I'm here as a faculty member and administrator to really help faculty boost our national reputation and get more funding for critical programs here at Texas Tech.
0: And it really is so important to have people who cross the boundaries of academia. We are a profession where people tend to work in the same office on in the same things, teach the same things for many years and my parents were professors and my father always remarked about how interesting it was when he you know just happened to bump into somebody who was working one floor away on the same things he was working but they had never met in ten years and didn't know about each other so we always need help people to help us cross those borders and make friends
1: yes that's absolutely true and the problem with my career has been the interdisciplinary and transdisciplinary things I do often are really cutting edge so uh, it's like the proverbial mouse going in the mouse trap. You never want to be the first one. You want to be the second one in because don't really get out of it initially. So. Yeah,
0: there's a reason <laughs> we pay people and respect them a lot to fly the X-1 as opposed to a jet airliner today, which is the X-9 billion, you know, <laughs> the, you know the, when, you, when you do something. Right. Actually, that's a very interesting point about innovation that we try to get across to our students is that almost all innovators fail like Mm -hmm. repeatedly fail. Mm -hmm. And the question is whether they learn from failure, grow, recalibrate, redesign, and then keep coming back until finally something works, or whether they give up or they keep beating their head against the wrong door, right?
1: Right. Well, there's so much to be learned uh, about a person and their true strengths is how they respond to failure. It's easy to succeed continuously, but when you fail, you learn from it, you build from those successes from the failures. That's really so critical in building a true person who can teach others and help generate successes for society, not just for themselves.
0: So, did you wake up one morning when you were growing up and saying, "I'm going to be the uh, the master of border crossing"? Or was the, where did you grow up, doctor?
1: No, I grew up in uh, New Jersey in a small town called Plainfield, New Jersey, Central Jersey. And my mother now lives in Southern Jersey, Seashore area. But I grew up uh, in a, a very poor family, and we had a number of losses in the family. And uh, my grandfather actually and I were extremely close, and his family most of which was killed uh, in the Holocaust and uh, basically we had nothing and I started you know just thinking my grandfather was very insistent that I needed to get an education I tried to drop out of college because I told him you know I can make so much more money if I just go right to work and he said no. Absolutely not. I'll kick your butt around the corner if you do. So He was kind of a scary guy, so I listened to him, and I had a great a deal respect for him. And uh, he had come through Ellis Island and had, basically had nothing and built a business. And I learned from him as my uh, closest friend and mentor and obviously someone I love very much. But my family had nothing, and I wanted to do better for myself and for my family in whatever way I could.
0: Was there music in your home?
1: There was uh, religious music. I was raised uh, orthodox, very extreme, and uh, so there was a lot of uh, music when I went to synagogue, that kind of thing. But uh, no, I mean, it was kind of a strict household, and uh, my dad was pretty much, you know, black and white were his two favorite colors, and that's what we did. You know, he would measure my uh, skirt length before I went out the door, and it better not be more than an inch above the knee, or you go back in the house and This is change. recently or, or when you? No, no, know, as, a, as a kid and oh, okay. in high school, yeah. 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 yeah.
0: So music was religious music, but but when you left the house, I assume you may have heard some of the music going on in society. Oh yeah. At that time.
1: Well, you know, I was a, a kid and then a teenager in the, in the seventies and eighties. So a lot of the music then was rock, and it was very emotional. It was emotionally charged because of the U.S. having been in Vietnam and everything that resulted from that, and which generated a lot of emotion and great music so and I loved uh, music that pretty much told a story of someone who lived through a crisis and survived it and did well from that so and that's kind of consistent with my life I view myself as having been very fortunate I've succeeded in a number of areas but my true measure of success has been my ability now to help students and help them achieve success in their lives
0: when we asked you for your list of music that means the most to you you, you did come back with a lot of seventies and eighties music <laughs> and and you listed uh, three songs by The Doors yeah and the first break on through mm-hmm. do you remember when you first heard The, the Doors and and were you Parents as outraged as I might imagine them to be. Oh, they never got to hear what I was listening
1: to. No, I hid it from them. No, you know, it's the kind of thing when I paid for my first car, then I was blasting the music and that was fun. So, no, I just, uh, music was, I really understood it and, and loved it because it helped me as a kid who had to, through my childhood, kind of repress emotions. Because, like I said, very strict household, very disciplined, you know, you do what you're told to do and then live your life through music music in many ways because it helped you express how you really felt and I bet a lot of a lot of young people today feel that way too you know they can't express it nearly as well as artists who succeed can express it
0: break on through what does that song mean to you
1: oh, it's just, uh, you know, meeting challenges head on. There are multiple ways that you could deal with challenges and you can transcend things in your life. But my husband and I both agree very strongly with this. You face and you confront challenges head on. You know, the day
2: destroys the night. Night divides a day. Try to run, try to hide. Break on through to the other side. Break on through to the other side. To the other side, yeah We chased our pleasures here Dug our treasures there
0: The theme of your putting, as, as Churchill would put it, is security and prevention of disaster. And we've we've had conversations. In fact, there's a couple of great projects you've you're getting started related to disaster management, disaster prevention, disaster response. Do you think that the fact that you grew up in a household that had, you know, had a history of, of disaster had something to do with your interest in like helping people in situations of, of great downfall?
1: I think it was more. Um my interest to transcend what I had to deal with in my home, that I wanted to contribute in a bigger way. and The fact that my family had, from the prior generation, dealt with severe crisis and basically genocide, that I saw these transgressions in society as something that could be dealt with through science, because that's really where my contribution has been. Understanding better ways to manage to mitigate a disaster and empower individuals in a disaster so they can respond and don't have to wait for the government to respond.
0: Now your next song is also the Doors' The Unknown Soldier. Now, at some point, you made a decision to pursue a career in the Air National Guard. How did you enter the military?
1: Well, I entered the military because my dad told me I should go in the military and grow up. (laughs) He He had been a military police, and I knew nothing about the military. I said, well, you know, it sounds like an interesting opportunity, you know, the be all you can be. I never, you know, thought I was kind of, you remember that movie, Private Benjamin? Yeah. It was kind of that type of a woman that Somebody who I was like clueless. out of <laughs>
0: out, Fish out of water, uh, definitely. Yeah. Completely yeah. out of water.
1: So basically I went in the military, two reasons. My dad, the same one who told me my skirt was too short, said, you know, you need to dry this, you need to do it. This was at a time that very few women went in the military. Um, I. It was also at a time that the university I was at did not have an ROTC program. I had to enroll in the program over at Princeton University. I think I was the only woman in the whole program and uh, ended up kind of liking it. I ended up being a distinguished military graduate. I thought, okay, I'll serve my four years active and then I'll get out as soon as I can. But it turned out that I had um, leadership qualities that people saw and they Wanted me to use those qualities. I ended up commanding several units when I was uh, at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. I trained people who were special forces medics and pararescue people, and I really loved doing that because it was the best of field medicine. And I also ran the aeromedical evacuation unit there at Fort Bragg that also supported Duke University Medical Center and Chapel Hill, that whole region, and I enjoyed the travel. I spent a lot of time in Central America and uh, I felt like, wow, this is a great thing, so I ended up uh, prolonging my military career, but it really started out of a parent saying I needed to do this and I really uh, was desperate for money too, so it seemed like a good thing all around to give it a try and I was pretty young so it's like okay you have plenty of time ahead why not
3: wait until the war is over and we're both a little older the unknown soldier
2: breakfast well vision
0: song, next and last door song, Light My Fire. Mm -hmm. Do we need to know the story behind this one?
1: No. Well, like a lot of people who are high achievers, I would say that sometimes you don't have a very balanced personal life. And, um, And it's important. I've learned in retrospect that that's so important for succeeding in life and having as my husband and I call it the center where it needs to be with your family and the people who really love you and uh, you care about and uh because it helps balance everything you do and it really helps you to achieve things far beyond what you could do alone and so um, that song was something that uh, I really locked onto when I had a kind of a desperate relationship that was going nowhere fast but at the time of course I thought my whole life was centered around this person but fortunately got through that and um, as you know that uh, Jim Morrison He had a lot of psychological issues. This guy had an obsession with fire and death. And uh, I do not, but I thought that was a fascinating story. And uh, as I went through my life, you know, I became much more positive in terms of outlook when it came to relationships.
4: You know that it would be untrue
2: You know that I would be a liar If I was to say to you Girl, we couldn't get much higher Come on baby, light by fire Come on baby, light by fire Try to set the night on fire The time to hesitate is through No time to wallow in the mind
0: Dr. Sobel, we live in a world where the circumstances of the threats that, that we face change very radically. We have, just within the last couple of years, we have two interesting and evil and fascinating phenomena. The rise of ISIS, the rise of a caliphate, self-described caliphate, that wants you know, religiously, psychologically, socially to return to the 7th century. But, as you pointed out, is quite happy using all the technology of the 21st century to do it. So I, I'm, I'm doing a little research on their recruiting videos via YouTube, which I think are propaganda genius, I mean evil genius, but just incredibly sophisticated ways to reach the hearts and minds of disaffected 18-year-olds in, in the West and, and, and throughout the Middle East. And and then we also have here in the West, and we've just seen with the Australia case, you know, the rise of the lone wolf you know, sort of self-motivated, maybe not even directed by anybody inspired by propaganda but just basically deciding on their own to go commit an act of of terrorism governments are notoriously difficult to formulate resistance strategies against either kind of phenomena i mean the, the rise of isis i mean i would say take everybody by surprise but but there were a lot of warnings that isis was going to do as well as it as it did including rolling up uh you know the iraqi army whatever that is the iraqi army but the lone wolves. How do we protect ourselves against things that we don't necessarily fully recognize are here and about to bite us?
1: Well, a lot of uh, what I always really tried to educate the public about in terms of protection is self-reliance. That individuals and across the board, elements of society, for instance, people who are administrators of schools and teachers needed to take a serious look at their response plans and their ability to protect children. And because if you look at society, elements of society that are most vulnerable include our children. So awareness, situation awareness, when you travel, when you're in a strange place that you're unfamiliar with, having plans in advance, even if those plans are something like protecting your grandparents. I um, spent some time in El Paso when I was Homeland Security Director teaching about 600 school kids, middle and high school kids, how to develop their own response plan in a disaster. And you think about it, little kids, a lot of them, what are they most attached to? Well, you know, clearly their family, but, They're attached to their pets. So the way that I figured would be most successful in terms of educating young kids was teach them how to prepare for a disaster and taking care of their pets. And then from that, they would build a response plan for their pet that then they built the secondary circle would be for their family, for their extended family, and they actually put together a survival kit for their families. I think one of the other elements of society that I've always felt that there needed to be a lot of opportunity taken to educate is the elderly. So, for instance, the elderly, whether they're in extended care facilities or they're living alone, that to sit down and talk to the elderly, talk them through how they would respond in the time of disaster. Many of them remember the times of nuclear threat from the former Soviet Union, so they already could relate to some of this from their childhood, but um, I think the first thing is just to assume that you will not have someone else helping you during a disaster. So uh, self reliance is important to share and particularly I was very involved at the University of Missouri in helping to develop a resiliency and response plan for the University also work very closely with schools in that whole region and I hope to do more of that here uh, in West Texas as well to work closely with rural communities to help them develop a response plan from things such as shooters in the school, things like that, so that the teachers felt much more comfortable in how they would respond in an event that they didn't anticipate. And also understanding the very early signs of health and wellness in their kids, so particularly psychological issues.
0: Your next two songs are from the Eagles and your next song is Hotel California a song that i grew up with as well and has been subject to innumerable interpretations of what actually it means and i'm not actually sure if the band know knew what it meant you know (laughs) Sometimes you, there's, no, there's no there, there, and, and this may be the case, but there is the famous line is, you, you can check out anytime you want, but you can never leave. And uh, that always, what you were talking about it sort of occurs to me, that is our modern situation. You know, 200 years ago, it was possible to isolate yourself. You know, you could have some rural religious community that sort of checked out of modern society, and most of what was going on didn't affect them. But now, we're really affected by everywhere, everything, you know. I mean, if somebody catches a cold in West Africa, we may get the flu. You know, that old saying about, you know, China and uh, chickens in China affect our health and air. So a war in Iraq affects us here. And I think that's hard because human beings, you know, grew up in caves and with small bands. And we tend to think in small groups. And the idea of global disease, global terrorism, things affecting us across gigantic borders of sea and time and space um, is a new thing relatively in human history and it's hard for us to adapt to. When you say you train uh, to for people to plan, is there a sort of procedure? I mean, how would you get a, a, a seven-year-old? It's, 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 and I'm a cat lover, so let's just start with that. What's your advice to our audience and me about the disaster preparedness plan for our cats?
1: Yeah, well, uh, I think it's very good to start with something that you care about. That's because people will not only they will focus their attention on that, but they'll be more effective learners. So with the cat, if your cat has any medications or a diabetic cat, which some are, you have a little ready bag, a go bag for the cat that has at least a week's worth of medications already pre-packed. If the cat's an older cat, you have also all the basics of supplies so most living things can survive quite a while without food but not without water so potable water is an important aspect also blankets and just think about the what we call maslow's hierarchy of what things need just the basic survival things that uh, an animal we'd need. Uh, for a lot of these kids, it was really interesting, but they wanted to learn how to resuscitate their animal. Say, if there was an explosion or something happened to the oh animal, gosh. how would they do that? They had thought about this. And um, I got very involved because the National Guard also learned that a lot of people won't leave the site of a disaster if an animal that they love is left behind. So the Guard had to figure out, how do you you transport these animals, and what's appropriate. Also, it's very interesting that animals have kind of what I'll say a sixth sense. But you know, they in many ways are very perceptive of their environment. For instance, we've always known that animals are uh, can predict when there's an earthquake coming or a tsunami, for example. Similarly, they're very intuitive in terms of when they themselves are sick, and they will isolate themselves and have a change in their own behavior. In fact, there are certain public health um, communities that look at domestic animals uh, very closely, and feral animals as an early indicator when there's an outbreak of a disease. For instance, West Nile virus, there was a significant uh, reliance on looking at animals in a city, in an urban setting, as an indicator if there was an illness. I think, but bottom line, it comes down to understanding what people see as valuable to them personally and focus can I'll say scenario driven type of ways of teaching them and something what we call giving them an experience, a realistic life experience that they can center their plans around.
0: Your you know? next song, Witchy Woman. <laughs> now is that is that bring up a personal experience here or, or this is just you like the song?
1: No, I just love the song and I love the intricacy of the relationship there. And the individual so.
0: What do you mean by intricacy?
1: Well, all relationships are complex and this particular relationship that he was singing about was increasingly complex, and I think it's good in a relationship, no matter what that relationship is, to have a little bit of excitement and unknown in the relationship. Sometimes that can be carried too far, but I just uh, was really entranced by this particular song. I thought it was a really fun song.
2: Raven hair and nubi lips sparks fly from her fingertips echoed voices in the night she's a restless spirit on an endless flight
0: Now you talk about complexity in relationships. Do you, do you have cats?
1: I do not have cats personally. Would you like some? No. No. I. <laughs> no offense to our listeners, but I really don't care for cats very much. I like big cats, but I don't like domesticated cats.
0: Well, we're, I'll forgive you for that. We're 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 sort of cat obsessed at our house, and and I've often reflected on people loving dogs versus loving cats, and. Uh, with all respect to my dog lover friends there's there's a complexity in the relationship with cats i mean our our cats are incredibly loving creatures i have dozens of instances of them just doing just wonderful things for our children and ourselves but they're complicated, and they, they, you know, sometimes they don't act the way you want them to act, and they just they do their stuff, or they they do something, you know, that's classified as naughty. And, and there's something new every day with the relationship with, uh, <laughs> with a cat. So I guess, you know, witchy woman is a good cat song as, so as, as well there. So
1: I've got to ask, is it your house or the cat's house?
0: Oh, well, our theory um, is that cats, to borrow a phrase from uh, Douglas Adams, are the projection into this time-space continuum of vast pan-dimensional beings that are sort of testing us. And so, yeah, we it's a cat universe. We just, you know, are, are here in their sufferance. Uh, <laughs> you know, c- c- the old thing, dogs have owners, cats have staff. And, uh, and that's definitely t- uh, true. But... Uh, and I, I, Derek is thinking now, oh my God, he's turning this into a cat show. And I've tried resisted this, but since you bring it up, I have noticed a couple of things. First, when our children are sick and in bed, the cats will go up on the bed and stay there all day in a sphinx pose, a, an actual po- sphinx pose. I think that's their guard pose, and just sit there until the child is no longer is no longer sick. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't. Again, I don't, you never know what cats think of us, but sort of large, ungainly cats is probably what, what they're... And then second, I have an incident that happened in our family where we have two cats, and we adopted a third cat. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. Our two cats did not accept that third cat. So we found a home, luckily, with my, my wife's uh, father and his partner. Now, his partner the cat got along great with the, the father didn't along great, great great with this woman for some reason the cat kept scratching and biting her on her arm in one particular location on her arm and finally they couldn't take this anymore and so we had to find it and luckily we found another great home for the cat and the cat is very happy now but a few months later this woman was diagnosed with skin cancer in that exact spot now i know that's not a clinical trial <laughs> but you can imagine you know the, the incredibly good sense of smell and i think also that sense and sensibility that cats have about their owners and, the, and themselves you can imagine that maybe cats have uh, some ability to sense that there's diseased skin or something beyond mm-hmm. what our visual uh, abilities do so the, there's there's a, they're they're witchy. They're they they are witches. That's There's something wild. going on. Yeah. There's something <laughs> going on there. Your next song, L.A. Woman. Now, did you ever live in California or close to it? Did
1: I did not, yeah. but I have a number of relatives who live there. It's a wild place. I uh, I like it. I mean, I like uh, I like big cities. I wouldn't want to live in one, but um, a certain part of me wishes I had been an L.A. woman, even though you look at my career, it's been very traditional. Uh, in many ways bureaucratic, but on the personal level I'm really very interested in pushing the edge edge and envelope of things continuously so I can relate in many ways to LA Woman.
0: Your next song is Diana Ross, The Supremes, Ain't No Mountain High Enough. It sounds like in your career there's been no mountain high enough to keep you back from what you wanted to achieve. And, and, and I'm sure you talk to, uh, and this, this is a big cultural discussion going on right now, women. Women in science, women in the military, about to what extent there are still ceilings, to what extent there you know cultures that keep women back. I have certainly seen a lot of articles written in our trade magazines within academia, but also heard many stories from women in science that the, uh, the lab bench culture is still sometimes very misogynistic, Uh, we still don't have as many women in in math and science STEM areas. In many fields, in some fields, actually, the number has gone down. How do you account for for the fact women are not as represented in some areas as they should be, and what do you think can and should be done to sort of move the culture forward?
1: This is uh, still a very serious problem. Obviously, I spent most of my career in male-dominated fields, and it was continuously having to reprove yourself i think one of the things we can do and being at a university we must do is reach out to the community as mentors and work with for instance ex- existence high schools and and uh, even uh... lower grades uh... one of the things that we're doing through the honors college here at texas tech is we're partnering with the talkington school for young women leaders, and I'm engaging them in some of my programs that have to do with One Health and educating the community. I know that uh, there are other plans at the Honors College to do more with that school, but being available and being very willing to be a role model and doing things that are fun. Um, A lot of programs, and I was speaking with our commencement speaker about this, Dr. Ensley and I worked together at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base many years ago when I was going through graduate school and we both had uh, I think similar challenges in in terms of our careers and obviously she went the civil service direction I went the military direction but I think the biggest thing that we can do is really reach out to communities and work one-on-one with these kids and when you get them in your class in college I mean, to work very hard with young women and young men to make them feel that what they're doing in science and the STEM fields as a whole is relevant to society and it's a very important contribution and it's not boring by any means. I mean, you can, uh, in these fields, do everything. Also, you know, get kids involved very early on. I was very involved with the National Board of Directors, so the Girl Scouts, in starting a science advisory board and developing the robotics program for girls. And people looked at me like, what? Well, you know what? Our winning team was a group of girls from upper New York State who did some work on energy conservation in their school. And I was thinking, you know, what it took there is making it something that the kids could really relate to and they found interesting. And having more opportunities like Lego competitions, I ran a cyber competition uh, that engaged girls very heavily in writing software and stuff like that. Getting them to a point that they see something that they're doing here is far more of the contribution to society and something that it makes them really feel good about themselves early on.
2: Listen, babe to fire Cup in the pit.
0: An, an excellent point there as well is that while we should have all these programs, and it's very—they're very important. We also have to talk to the boys. <laughs> we have to—we have to address the culture, because the culture is not just created by women trying to achieve something. It's by the men in their environment and to what extent they understand that everybody has to have an equal right to to achieve something. Yes. And my greatest concern from what I, you know, again, read and, and hear from my, my colleagues in the sciences is there's still too much of uh, a misogynistic uh, a culture, inc- starting very early with expectations, you know, of four girls versus, versus boys.
1: Well, I also uh, believe that women can sometimes be their own worst enemy. And I've certainly sought out And it's just, I think, worked out this way, successful men who have been my mentors. And I have found that when I was very successful in the various things I've done, which, by the way, was never just me, it was other people helping me, Um, that other women were very fast to attack me or to look for ways to undermine what I was doing. And I always thought that was a very interesting phenomenon that women need to just get over it and they need to... Celebrate their own successes and not worry about what everybody else is doing.
0: Your next song is Otis Redding, sitting by the dock of the bay. Now, this seems a little change of pace in what we're talking about. It's more of a sort of peaceful, just thinking, contemplating. Do you have any time in your life for sort of contemplation and peace?
1: Oh, sure, I do. I deliberately make time. It's kind of what I was talking about earlier the work life balance that it's really essential for self-preservation. And it it really fuels your sense of creativity and being innovative when you have time for some introspection and reconsidering things you've done, things you'd like to do better. Sitting in the morning
4: sun I'll be
1: sitting when the evening
4: comes Watching the ships roll in then I watch him roll away again. Yeah, I'm sitting on the dock of the bay, watching the tide roll away. I'm just sitting on the dock of the bay, wasting time. time. I left my home in Georgia. Headed for the Frisco Bay Cause I've had nothing to live for And look like nothing's gonna come my way So I'm just gonna sit on the dock of the bay Watching the tide roll away mm-hmm. I'm sitting on the dock of the bay Wasting time just to make this dock my home Now I'm just gonna sit at the docker of the bay Watching the tide roll away Ooh, I'm sitting on the dock of the bay Wasting time
0: last two songs are, well, I I won't say they're upbeat, but but the first one is from The Sound of Music. Now, The Sound of Music... Uh, probably a lot of our younger listeners actually may have seen it when as a child or forced to watch it with with their parents <laughs> or not. But it's it's not it's it's a bittersweet movie because it you know in the yeah. background is you know Nazi Germany and the Holocaust right. and and so there's a sort of subtext uh, uh, there. The Sound of Music. Do you do you remember watching it? And I in, do.
1: In? You know, as part of that, as I describe my family history, but uh, also it was the first time that I recall as a child that my parents had enough money for me and them to go to a movie together. And we had never been able to do that before. And I'll never forget, we went to this movie theater in Poughkeepsie, New York. I'm like, where's Poughkeepsie, New York? Well, I remember it in my mind because that's where I got to see The Sound of Music.
5: I've heard before
0: Final song is another one which is interesting. Wh- white Christmas, in, the, in that it is famous for being bittersweet. That is, it, it's you're dreaming. Is this somebody dreaming of a white Christmas, of trying to reclaim a time from the past and, and the youth, but not necessarily that it was always happy or that they're happy now? It was very. It's very complicated, and it is probably one of the most popular songs in the history of uh, show business, and you know, in terms oh, of yeah. a- sales and and also sheet music. Uh, I think everybody learns the piano, learns how to uh, play that. What was your impression of it when you first heard it? Just
1: a beautiful, you know, especially Bing Crosby and time gone by and peaceful times and something that many of us long for but have difficulty ever achieving. Now as an adult, I think back in my childhood, I never had a very peaceful childhood or had an opportunity to celebrate the holidays, but certainly it's something that I hope that people who I touch and people I, I love, and, and especially my husband's family and what remains of my family, that even if we don't celebrate Christmas, it's just, I lo- Christmas. I love the holidays, I love the sense that people have at that time that it's more than just themselves
0: that they're there for others as well. Well, you've obviously spent your career thinking about the welfare of others, and now we're very happy and very grateful to have you at Texas Tech looking out for our welfare. So Dr. Annette Sobel, thank you so much for your service to West Texas and Texas Tech, and thank you for joining us today.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I've enjoyed this immensely.
3: Very and
6: bright
3: And may all your Christmases